You're listening to the Bitcoin and Marcus podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is episode 43, June 11th, 2017. Thank you for joining me. There, this, There's so much going on with Bitcoin. I couldn't, I mean, if I did a one hour daily show, I could probably cover most of it. But uh, being that this show is is getting to be every two weeks um, and I want to keep it around an hour, I cannot cover everything, but I will cover the main topics here, the main points. And for all the noobs out there, all the new people into Bitcoin, I'll cover as much stuff as I can. I'll make it as uh, plain language as I can. I try to, I pride myself on making it plain language for everybody uh, because this is a very technical field, right? Bitcoin is a new technology, but um, breaking it down in a way that the the masses can understand it is very important. And I don't know if I su- succeed in doing that all the time, but that is in my mind at all times. So, okay. Uh, I want to make a point here to say a lot of you might have found me because of the ICO boom. Um, the altcoin boom, right? The Ethereum and um, all of these new things like the, the BAT ICO or all, whatever ICO that's worth millions and millions of dollars. They've raised all this money in a short amount of time and you want to get in and make some yourself. Um, I want to make this point up front that this is a, some would say a Bitcoin maximalist show, but I try to keep it very factual. <laughs> that's That's not pleasant for a lot of ICO people out there, a lot of Ethereum people out there, but I try to keep it as factual as I can. This is the Bitcoin space. You will never hear me say that this is the blockchain space. I will call it maybe the wider Bitcoin space. Um, but the wider Bitcoin space is dependent on Bitcoin's blockchain. Okay, Bitcoin was the first and it is successful. If Bitcoin would to die right now and disprove the validity of blockchains in general, what do you think would happen to the rest of the space? No one would be interested if Bitcoin and its immutability and security went away, the rest of this space would go away as well. I just want you to know that. So um, a lot of the people out there will say blockchain, all the things I've had recent discussions with people that they think, oh, what's your favorite thing that blockchains can do for you? And people are like listing all these things. Blockchains are only valuable for digital assets. That's the first thing to know. Okay. Um, you cannot tie a physical asset onto a blockchain. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, think about it this way. So a blockchain is kind of like a database and it keeps track of this digital good. And if it is not on the blockchain, it doesn't exist. If it is on the blockchain, it does exist. Well, a physical good is not restrained by those same parameters. If someone, if I say I have a wallet with like stocks or something, okay. Uh, and I want to keep all my stocks on this blockchain wallet, whatever it is. And someone hacks my phone or my computer and steals those tokens. Now what? Well, you'd probably go to some sort of legal structure, right? You have an arbiter in there. You have adjudication, litigation, all of these things. That blockchains are not, they, they don't work in that respect. 
Okay, they're decentralized. And if it happens on the blockchain, that's law. If you don't want that, if you want a, a mutable or a changeable database, there's no reason for a decentralized database like blockchain. Okay, so <laughs> it, it cannot be physical, an asset that cannot be physical on on the blockchain. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to stress that up front that if Bitcoin fails, the blockchain, quote unquote, the blockchain space fails because this is the Bitcoin space and it is going to be dominant, whether you like it or not, whatever the dominance index says, I often say, why don't they include one coin onto the dominance index? I mean, the one coin is more, <laughs> is more widely used or more, uh, in production than some of these ICOs that are counted that have zero code. So why not include one coin? It's like a, a, I don't know, 20, $30 billion market cap. So why not include that? So until this dominance index includes one coin it's bullshit. Um, but the whole idea is bullshit because Bitcoin underlies everything and it is 100% dominant. And that's, that's my opinion. Okay. <laughs> We, we talk about a lot of stuff on the show. Um, I keep it mostly with cryptocurrency. When I started the show, I talked more about like traditional markets and stuff, but there are smarter guys out there than, than I am that are talking about the traditional markets that are in the same vein. Um, if you want to see some good, like actual technical analysis, I would recommend uh, Carpe Noctum. I'll link, link to his YouTube channel here uh, in the, the show notes. And also Tone Vase, he's, he's really good too. Just common sense people that make really technical things look really easy. Those guys do. So watch them. Uh, I do touch on these other markets from like, you know, an ideological perspective. And that's all. I think I'm unique in that fashion from the Bitcoin space. I'm not scared to talk about it. A lot of people uh, out there, I think in Bitcoin and a lot of content producers, they think like I do, but they are hesitant to talk about it. Maybe because it doesn't fit their image, maybe because it doesn't fit their branding, whatever, um, or what they want, like how they want to be portrayed, what they think is the best way to be portrayed. And that's fine. That's why I'm here. I'm here to talk about these, these anarchist ideological things and go from there. So, um, yeah, we talk about user activated software. We talk about the SegWit. Uh, 2x hard fork and we just go all over the map here let's start with a market update this is going to be a long market update and uh yeah so let's jump into it Okay, so what have we seen with the price action lately? Well, we have seen um, a new all-time high very recently. I like to look at Bitstamp because Bitstamp doesn't have margin. It's all spot, though I think it's a little bit more um, realistic or um, a little bit less, you know, speculation out there. And right now, it's sitting at 29.58. Um, Again, it's an all-time high. We recently jumped up against uh, that all-time high, and we surpassed it. Uh, we still are bumping on the $3,000 price, at least for Bitstamp. Uh, some of the other exchanges have surpassed it. That's that's all fine and good, but um, nobody has uh, cleared it definitively. Like right now, I'm looking at Coinbase 2996. 
Um, futures is way above. I'm looking at the uh, OKCoin OK quarterly futures, 3188. So yeah, it's way above 3000. But I, I see that and I'm looking at the, the premium here is $190. Almost $200 premium on uh, three month futures. To me, that's a little bit, it's a little bit overextended. There's some other things too. If you look at the volume profile on these exchanges, we haven't had a breakout in volume, even though we've had higher highs, we've had no volume follow through. Um, RSI is on a, I mean, a long term. If you look back uh, a week, we have a bear div. And so the we've gotten a higher high in price, but a lower high in the RSI. Same goes with the MACD. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we, break down a little bit here and consolidate again. I would really like to go to 2200 or 2400. I think that would be a really good price to um, build some support at, you know, um, I, I've been saying for a year on this show. And before that, another year previous to me starting the show that I want to see about two X every six months. And I think that's what we're, we're in this new paradigm for Bitcoin. Uh, 2x every six months could be good. Maybe some some um, periods we would go 4x or 3x, and that, that's okay too. Uh, but on average, I would like to see uh, 2x every six months because it's going up. Okay, Bitcoin, is the price is going to tend upwards in the long term. That is a guarantee. This is not financial advice, but that... <laughs> I'm going to guarantee that, that over the long term on like a yearly basis or a monthly basis, Bitcoin is going to tend uh, to increase in value. Uh, and there's no stopping that. I don't think it is scaling like it's supposed to scale. There's a lot of discussion here, um, how Bitcoin will handle the influx of new people with the delays on the transactions and the block size. I'll get into that on the other parts of the show, but don't worry right now. It's, it's healthy. Look at the price. If Bitcoin was not healthy and all these other ICOs in Ethereum were booming, um, Bitcoin would be dropping in price. But Bitcoin is healthy enough to increase in value. And that's that's all you need to know. All right. Um, so we got that. Uh, let's let's take a look at Bitflyer because Japan, if you listen to the show in the past, you know that I call I was the first one to call the Japanese coming in and like the Japanese are coming sort of thing. Um, and they have I mean, a lot of the volume now is uh, JPY volume. Uh, China is coming back. And on the last show, I talked about how China is finally coming back after they had the setback of um, the their central bank, the PBOC coming in and uh, restraining them putting other rules on their exchanges, they're finally coming back from that. Um, but anyway, so the Japanese yen price 30, let's see, 330,000 yen, very strong. They just have a lot of demand. My whole story behind Japan is like they are burdened by twice as much debt as uh, the U.S. per G or per capita or, or according to the GDP. And for millennials over there, it's a no-brainer. Like, do I want to be locked in with my life savings into this banking system that is obviously over-indebted and we might be the next domino to fall? You know, I. And Japan is in a subservient position. They ha since World War II, they haven't really, in the financial markets, they haven't taken aggressive moves. So they're going to do what they're told by their American counterparts and the European counterparts. That's just the way that the system is set up right now. So if I'm a millennial in Japan, I'm looking for investments outside of the traditional banking system. Um, they do 
buy gold and silver, not as much per capita as China and India, but they do have a high savings rate. And so they're going to diversify into Bitcoin. I, it, to me, it's a no-brainer. Anyway, so that's the price there. The three, I, I touched on the three-month uh, quarterly futures. 31.95 now. Okay, let's look at the local Bitcoins volume. This is uh, OTC, over-the-counter, so not traded on exchanges. This is kind of more peer-to-peer. They just updated this new weekly uh, amount here on this link. I put all the source links in my show notes at bitcoinandmarkets.com. I don't put it on uh, SoundCloud. That's where I host all these things. But you can go to iTunes. I'm available on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, they have the the show notes that get transferred over from SoundCloud. But um, if you go to bitcoinandmarkets.com, you find the, the most recent episode. There you'll find all these links for all these statistics. Okay, local Bitcoin's volume over the last seven days was almost 40 million dollars transacted dollars worth of bitcoin transacted uh that's good i mean local bitcoins is a hockey stick right now um so we we had an all-time high two weeks ago um and we'll see these like huge weeks i think we'll continue to see these huge weeks um but as a point this is pulling back it's not an all-time high it's kind of simmered down now over the last two weeks but it is still in this general trend of a hockey stick. And also this site that I link coin.dance, they break it down by country. And if you look at every country minus Japan uh, is a hockey stick. Okay. So th- this demand is growing throughout the world. Um, now there's another OTC market. I don't have a link for that. And I don't think there's any link out there that I've ever found. <laughs> um, and that is like the high dollar OTC where these, these millionaires and billionaires are buying blocks of five, 10, 20 million dollars with the Bitcoin. Uh, usually happens from large Bitcoin holders, which would be uh, exchanges that have a high amount of Bitcoin. Um, sorry, what did I say? Exchanges? I meant miners. <laughs> the, uh, they buy it from miners that have, you know, they get the rewards for mining. So they have more um, on-hand Bitcoin to d- trade over the counter. Um, there's also all these all sorts of other investors that are buying and selling and, and doing that, like high dollar, high net worth individuals. It bit. they had a... I think it was a quarterly report that they released and kind of showed what their OTC market was because they facilitated an OTC market there. Um, I haven't seen that in a while, so I I don't know if there's any real good numbers for that. But it's interesting to note that since every four years, the Bitcoin mining rewards go down. They get cut in half every four years. Just last year, we went from 25 Bitcoins every 10 minutes that were created. Uh, Now we are at 12 and a half. We're starting to see that supply restriction being represented in uh, the price. So miners, they used to be able to sell uh, blocks of maybe hundreds of Bitcoins to these investors. Now they might have tens of Bitcoins to sell to these investors. So there is that uh, supply restriction. Okay, that was OTC. Bitcoin network volume. I've seen some other statistics recently, but the one I like to use... Um, is showing us right now at $671 million transacted on the Bitcoin blockchain in the last 24 hours, or at least US dollar equivalent. That is down as well. I want to know. That is down as well. If you look at the um, look at the charts, the price charts, so Bitstamp or Bitfinex or whatever, and you look last week, we had a spike in US dollar equivalent volume on blockchain, a spike in local bitcoins volume and 
a spike in the price altogether. Now we're seeing this price tend back upwards, hitting new all-time highs, but we're not seeing an accompanying spike in local Bitcoin's volume, the OTC, that's OTC, or the US dollar transaction volume on the blockchain. So these are the fundamentals that I look at. Okay, uh, let's look at difficulty. Difficulty is readjusted for the miners every, well, it's 2016 blocks, but uh, it's roughly every two weeks. So as more miners come online, people bring more power, computing power, we call it hash power online, then the Bitcoin network automatically adjusts for that. So it becomes harder to mine as more people mine. There is delay of this two weeks that kind of makes it so people want to come in and mine for those two weeks. They want to add that hash power. And, you know, um, that's, that's the way it keeps growing. That's one of the ways it keeps growing. Anyway, the next adjustment is scheduled for five days from now, and it should be an 11% increase. I expect that to maybe decline here over the next couple days. So it should stay over 7, 8%, maybe as high as 9 or 10% of an increase in the difficulty, but that's still pretty big. The last increase we had was 14%. So um, the Bitcoin mining difficulty is growing very, very quickly. And I think that's a healthy sign. I don't want to see like 15% increases every two weeks. That that to me is not sustainable. I try to shoot for, you know, around 5%, give or take two or 3%. And, you know, if we can stay in that range, I think it's pretty healthy for the long term. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's mining. Okay, mempool size. I track this. Let me update this this web page because all right, I collect all sorts of I collect all sorts of statistics from around Bitcoin. Um, this is one of them that is um, less cited. I mean, there are people there are plenty of people out there that track the mempool size. That is the um, size of the transactions waiting to get confirmed on the Bitcoin blockchain. Right now, we are at thirty nine megabytes. We've come down over the last few days. It was over, I think it was over 100 megabytes at one point last week. That's pretty big. But again, this is another fundamental that is not showing these all-time highs. Okay, so be prepared. So we have volume, we have local Bitcoins, we have dollar volume on the blockchain and mempool size. All of these things are signaling not all-time highs. So to me... I think we might have a consolidation of price coming in the near future. I'm not saying a big one. I'm saying a week and it could go down 5%. It could go down 20%. I don't know, but that's not long-term next month. It'll be back up. All right. So that's the mempool size. Oh, wrong page here. Let's go back to this one. So the average transaction size on the Bitcoin blockchain is $2,400. Actually, it's 2406 And I track this because a lot of, uh, to me, um, the average transaction size is going to be around a Bitcoin. There are going to be times where it can get up to two Bitcoins, especially if we have late, like a majority of transactions are happening in layer two, and they only settle every once in a while onto the Bitcoin blockchain. Then we'll have much higher value transactions that are actually uh, on Bitcoin itself. Um, but for right now, for the last little while here, it's been about one Bitcoin. This also is below one Bitcoin in dollar value. So it's another 
thing that's telling me, and again, I could be totally wrong with this, that the price is going to come back or pull back a little bit. All right, let's look at gold. I like to I like to talk about gold because I was a gold bug. I came to Bitcoin from the sound money, you know, Austrian economics uh, point of view, and I've invested in gold and silver. Now I'm an investor in Bitcoin. I think that gold is a what seven or eight trillion dollar market, where Bitcoin is only a fifty billion dollar market. So there's a lot of room for a lot of people to come into Bitcoin and. I want to talk about this just to maybe spur some questions, maybe spur some conversation about gold versus Bitcoin. I'm very bullish on Bitcoin. I'm I'm less bullish on gold. I do think it will they will be correlated. But if gold goes up um, 25%, Bitcoin's going to go up 100%. You know that kind of correlation. So right now, gold per ounce 12.69, and it was just a few months ago that Bitcoin surpassed gold. Pretty soon. I mean, within 24 months, probably we'll be talking about market caps. <laughs> Bitcoin will be, I honestly think Bitcoin itself could get close to a trillion dollars in the next two years. And that gold Bitcoin market cap discussion will begin. All right. DXY is another thing I like to look at. That's the dollar index. So it ranks the dollar against other currencies. It's biased towards the euro, which I think makes like 33% or something pretty high against uh, against the dollar in this DXY, but it takes into account a bunch of other currencies. So right now, the DXY is 97.24. It was over 100 um, within recent memory, you know, like the last 12 months, it was over 100 and everyone was saying, we're going in 2017. This is going to be the year of the strong dollar. We're going to see 120. We're going to see 125, whatever. And we're that's when, back when we were like at 101 or something. And I'm saying, I don't think it's going to go much higher. <laughs> the The U.S. can't allow it to go much higher, right? Because we, we're $20 trillion in debt. There's no way to really pay it off. Um, servicing the debt is very expensive. And if we make the dollar increase in value relative to the other currencies, it's just going to be that much harder for the U.S. to pay their debts off. Um yeah, another aspect is raising the interest rates. People were like, oh, 2017, you know, we're going to see four interest rate increases. And then it was three and then it was two. But so far we've seen two. And again, I think this Wednesday they could raise it again, but we're still at 0. 0.75. Zero. Forget that 0.75. We're worried about these percentage points. It's still at zero. And real interest rates are negative by a long shot i mean real inflation if you if you measured inflation by 1990 standards or whatever it is uh you know older standards because they they move the goalposts here right they move the measuring they change the length of the inch or the meter wherever you are they change that length when they're measuring now they're using a different measure and it looks better oh two percent inflation great but really if you use the same measuring stick from 20 years ago we're at like six eight percent inflation so interest rates are very negative right now in real terms. Um, DXY is probably not going to go up. Um, dollar, I, I wanted to say this, dollar is very, like a lot of people say that the dollar is going, it's the strongest currency, it's going to be the last one to fall. 
but I don't think so. And here's why. I've just recently started thinking about this. I think that, um, you know, the dollar and the Fed are propping up all these other currencies like the euro and the yen and basically everything. They're they're flooding the market. They're exporting um, dollars everywhere to back backstop people. Um, some of that dynamic has changed over the last few years, but um, basically the dollar backs up the entire global economy. And until the dollar falls, it will continue to be able to prop up these currencies. Right? It's a very subtle effect here that until un, if the dollar is still strong, the euro will remain strong because the dollar is pumping value, pumping backstop money into the euro, into the ECB. So the first one that has to fall is going to be the dollar. If the dollar doesn't fall, none of these other ones can fall because it's just backstopping everybody, right? And I think that day is coming. I, I think this this DXY will continue to go down. The dollar will continue. It will look worse and worse every year towards uh, foreign investors, towards foreign central banks. They they would rather buy Bitcoin or gold and silver, but mainly it's going to be Bitcoin, I think, going forward. They're, they're going to look at this and they're going to be like, well, shit. If we would have bought Bitcoin last year when Joe Schmo, Mr. Banker, brought it to our attention, we our you know our balance sheet would be cut in half because Bitcoin's going up in value so much. Or our debt, I guess, would be cut in half because our balance sheet would be increasing in value. So as as, as Bitcoin continues to increase at this rate 2x every six months, it's gonna become a store of value. Millennials, the younger people that are learning about sound money, maybe they're paying taxes for the first time. Maybe they're, um, you know, starting a business for the first time. Maybe they're just going out, um, having a bank account for the first time. Maybe that's not even it. Maybe it's like 16 year olds playing video games. They don't even open a bank account. They just buy Bitcoin or buy Ethereum or, you know, they get into this crypto thing and they don't even worry about the bank account. My son, three months old today, I said, I sent a picture to my buddy of me holding him. I was like, this, this little guy will never have a bank account. I'm putting Bitcoin away for him. And I don't think any of these young people are going to be going and buying uh, or setting up a bank account or whatever. So they're definitely not going to be buying gold. That's for sure. When, when you compare gold to Bitcoin for, this, for the youth, it's a clear, clear winner is Bitcoin. So these central banks are going to look at the same thing. I mean, they already own all the gold. I, I, I still maintain also that the Fed and maybe the ECB or some, some of the larger central banks, they will go back to a gold standard as a defense against gold. Or shit, as a defense against Bitcoin. Bitcoin will be going up and up and up in value, steadily gaining value, um, becoming this reserve, international reserve, for people. And so to have sound money, to have a dollar that actually retains its value, they're going to say, okay, we need to back it with gold. And guess what? They have all the gold. That's why I don't like a gold standard. I mean, I have some gold, but they, that's why they will eventually go back to a gold standard because who owns all the gold? It's not the general public. Most, most people own zero gold or maybe a necklace. That's it. Or a ring, right? They have, say, 20, I don't know, they have a couple hundred thousand in investments, like stocks and all that stuff, but they have zero gold. 
And so they're going to go back to a gold standard because who owns all the gold? It's the central bankers. Anyway, um, but they'll also like the minor players will be buying Bitcoin. One of the banks that I think is really interesting. This was last year this time, I think maybe, maybe even before longer ago than last year. Um, the, a couple guys that work for or with the bank of Barbados, um, they wrote a paper about Bitcoin and how, um, the central bank of Barbados needs to get involved. And it's, that's a very small country. I don't know what the GDP is, but it's, I mean, a billion, maybe uh, it's not very big. So, um, some of these smaller countries will be like, shit, you know, if we put a million or 2 million equivalent into Bitcoin and maybe in 10 years, that's like a trillion dollars or something. So that that's good for their people. That's good for their, their cause that they're going for. Um, those guys work at bit.com, bitt.com. If you guys want to, um, check them out, they have a really good, uh, wallet web app, um, for Barbados, if you live in Barbados, but it's not very, very useful if you live outside of that, but they're doing good work. So check them out. Okay. What else do we, <laughs> that was a long drawn out explanation. All right, let's go into the, what do I have on deck first? The Segwit 2X hard fork. here looking at the big picture um, th this segwit 2x compromise happened as a marketing stunt for the consensus 2017 conference okay barry silber is the founder probably i think founder ceo of dcg uh, and they are they own coindesk they own some um, many many other their portfolio of companies in bitcoin space is pretty big uh, but they own a lot of people and they also put on this consensus conference in new york city every year this is the third year, I think, and it's it was pretty big. They've already started selling tickets for next year, and I think pre-sale is $1,900, $1,999 or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a gigantic thing. And this year, remember, <laughs> I said this on the last podcast, they had dancing girls. I mean, this was like, we're fucking printing free money here, people. Come to this conference. Let's party. We're printing free money. Anyway, this whole um, compromise was pushed forward by Barry Silbert and I believe as a marketing kind of stunt or a way to market this consensus conference. Um, a little bit of backstory for people. So Segwit, it's a kind of a funny name. It's, it's short for segregated witness. Um, witness in this case is the signature of the transaction and uh, segregated means separated. So um, a transaction is, you know, data and signatures electronic encrypted signatures. And if you discount the signatures from the size of the transaction, you can fit more transactions into a block. So that is a very simplified version of what's going on here. It fixes a lot of different issues or problems in Bitcoin that keeps it from uh, achieving a lot of scale as it currently sits for multiple applications. I mean, it's going to achieve scale for a um, store of value, no matter what, 
but uh, achieving scale at like for payments or for other applications, uh, it needs this this upgrade. It's been blocked by certain parties, and so we're kind of we've been at loggerheads for a couple years, and right now it looks like Segwit is going to go forward. It has um, agreement from a vast majority of all players out there, but the miners thought they'd throw one final condition. And they said, okay, we'll do Segwit because they've been blocking Segwit for a long time against what everyone else, developers and users and businesses, everybody out there, what they think is rational behavior. The miners are like, we're blocking Segwit and no one really understands why. I mean, there's a language barrier. There's a cultural barrier because they reside a lot in China, mainly this one miner, Bitmain, uh, CEO is Jihan, and they, they've been blocking this. You might also know, well, I'm not going to say his name. I said my boycott was back on of this guy, and I'm not going to talk about him. Well, I'm not going to say his name, but he, he runs a big Bitcoin business, and he is a wealthy Bitcoiner, and he kind of is pushing this same line as this particular miner. I don't want to say it's Chinese miners, because it's not just, like, it's not all Chinese miners. They kind of, there's, like I said, a language and cultural barrier, and um, Jihan is the most powerful person there, so he kind of influences their opinions. He can influence them more directly than, say, the core developers that are working. Uh, well, they're decentralized, but you know, I think Blockstream centered in uh, San Francisco area. Um, anyway, so that's that. Let's get into more of the details here. I, they have. It's a very rushed proposal, and in software development, okay, I'm not a. I'm not like being in a. I'm not a programmer. I'm self-taught over the last two or three years on basic things, so I kind of understand what's going on. But I'm not a programmer in my own right, especially compared to these core devs. Holy shit, these guys are smart as hell. And um, when they when they put a upgrade forward, like Segwit, you know, they spent a long. I mean, it's been a it's been a proposal for a long time, two years. Then they then they finally were like, okay, we can do this as a soft fork. And I'll describe the difference between soft fork and hard fork here in a second. Um, they said, okay, we can do this in a less disruptive manner. Uh, and then they spent the next six months programming it. Then they've spent like a year testing it until they said, okay, we're going to release it. The most tested code for Bitcoin ever. And these guys now, they came in there doing a uh, compromise. They want SegWit plus a hard fork to increase the block size from one to two megabytes. Um, untested. It's not going to work. Uh, just it's, it's reckless. It's reckless. And a lot of people in my position and a lot of people like developers and people that are smarter than I am in this space. They, they say it's reckless. So I want to mention the difference here between a soft fork and a hard fork for the noobs out there. I know this is kind of repeated on multiple sources, but I just want to, mention it just in case you know this is somebody's first exposure to this um, a soft fork is a network network upgrade that is backwards compatible so it continue like you don't have to upgrade if you don't want to but the ones that upgrade get to use this new functionality and it's really cool so that's that's a soft fork it's it's non-breaking it doesn't break the uh, existing nodes out there a hard fork breaks everything it break those nodes will not be on the same network some people call it a protocol replacement. It's not an upgrade. It's actually a protocol replacement because everybody that's going to be on the new network needs to upgrade. And it's very, very risky. It's not risky when you're talking about like 
Ubuntu or some other open source type project because you know if somebody doesn't upgrade a laptop so what they'll still be able to use other they'll still be able to use software they'll still be able to use a computer it's not a big deal but on bitcoin on a money decentralized network like this if you don't upgrade you're gone it's basically a big fu to your peers on a peer to peer network you're saying you're not my peer anymore i'm leaving come with me right so it's it's very very risky compared to a soft fork which is backwards compatible so that is my uh, difference. I had a speaking specifically about this two X uh, hard fork. Um, I had a popular tweet storm, and I will link that in the show notes. But I read through the GitHub comments. Like I've been spending a lot, lot of time <laughs> reading through these comments and trying to decipher things and judge things on like not be too judgmental, but like try to see things from be open minded, see things from all different perspectives. But it all boiled down. I, I had to say something about this because it was uh, just getting blatantly ridiculous. Okay, um, I want to read you those tweets. Now let me go find them. Samson Mao retweeted me and said, "Hey, this is a great summary." So I want to say thank you to Samson for that. Um, also, oh my God, uh, Adam Back has been like liking a lot of my tweets, and to me that is an honor. That is such a huge honor that Adam Back cited in the white paper. Adam Back, creator of Hashcash, like proof of work, basically the creator of proof of work, um, has been liking my tweets. That's such an honor, and I appreciate all that he does for Bitcoin. So if he's listening, thank you so much. Uh, okay, let's get into these tweets. Where the hell are you? I just saw Samson's beautiful face here on my feed. Let's get to that. So I want to read through these because I think it gives a good summary. And Samson obviously thought it was a good summary. So here we go. Number one, the SegWit2x discussion is turning into a block size discussion all over again. So not only are they discussing this two megabyte hard fork, but they're deciding the order. Should we do SegWit first? Should we do the block size upgrade first? And they even have expanded it to like, what's better, a two megabyte or a four or an eight megabyte? So it's a block size discussion all over again. This is, this is settled, people. They were discussing all different sorts of block sizes and what's less risky, hard fork base increases or a soft fork segue. I mean, again, we've had all of these, these discussions before. Number three, Jeff Garzik, he is the lead developer for this uh, Segwit2x project. He is has never committed code or had code committed to um, Bitcoin consensus code. He has contributed to Bitcoin Core, which is the reference implementation for Bitcoin, but he is not in the same ballpark as a lot of the core developers out there. Anyway, so Jeff Garzik and team are redesigning SegWit on the fly and bundling it with an untested hard fork for deployment in a little over a month. It's it's just crazy to think that, that anybody thinks that's really viable. I mean, it's, it's just a joke, honestly. Uh, and they we know it's a little over a month because they've released this timeline. Right, and we have this user-activated soft fork that's going to force SegWit onto the network. That's coming up August first, and they released a timeline that beats SegWit to, or beats the user-activated soft fork to the market. Um, it's very, very rushed. It's silly. It's stupid. It's based on this consensus. This whole marketing stunt for consensus 2017. I mean, it's just all around. It's a crazy, <laughs> crazy thing. All right, I go on. 
They have no intention on activating SegWit immediately, quote unquote, immediately, which is what they agreed to in the, this, this New York agreement, or even as outlined in the agreed upon source from SD Learner, which stated 141. And I went back and looked and my tweet was wrong here. He didn't say 141. He said 141 could activate, uh, but that he expected um, that SegWit, he said SegWit should activate before the hard fork. Okay, that's, that's what he said in there. And he, when he gave a timeline for the hard fork, he used about a year with good reason. I mean, he reasoned it out in this, this mailing list post. So I will link to that show notes so you guys can check it out. But um, they totally disregarded that. And they said, you know, Sega was not going to be first. We're going to do six months and everything's going to be activated together. It's just a bunch of craziness. Number five, judging by the public discussion, the pro SegWit devs are ignorant of the workings of SegWit or signaling in general. They ask questions left and right about this, or they state something, and then core devs will come in and say, that's not true. You don't know what you're talking about. SegWit works this way. So they don't know what they're talking about. And signaling is the way the way that the Bitcoin network signals for these upgrades. And uh, the current deployment of SegWit uses uh, bit one to signal, and they want to change it to bit four so that they can lock these people in restrain them, put a straight jacket on these people and say, you only get SegWit if you use bit four and you agree to a hard fork, right? But they have agreed to SegWit. The miners have agreed to SegWit. Everyone's agreed to SegWit, but they're trying to straight jacket this. Number six, on multiple occasions, they've had to be told how SegWit works and warned against common sense issues. That's what I just said. Number seven, in the link above, Jeff Garzik is lecturing devs on what Bitcoin transactions are after he had to be set straight on signaling just days ago. I mean, it's, it's crazy. All right. Number eight, it's clear that paranoia is running the show, not any quote unquote in the spirit of the agreement. So multiple places, Jeff Garzik has said this multiple places. Other devs have said this, that in the spirit of the agreement, what we're trying to do here, these are our goalposts and yada, yada, yada. Um, they, <laughs> those, the, the spirit of the agreement is SegWit first as SD Learner said, and then the hard fork 12 months later. That's the spirit of the agreement. But what have they done? They're like, no segue until the hard fork. Even Roger Ver came out and said, I'm hard fork first. So um, it, it's not spirit, spirit of the agreement. It's paranoia. They don't want to let people get segue because they don't think they'll get their hard fork. Well, guess what? You're not getting your hard fork. I dare you to try to get your hard fork right now. It's not going to happen. No one is going to run your code. Give up Jihan. You're not getting it. We're going to seg. We're going to seg with this chain. Everyone's going to be having to decide between seg with Bitcoin or Jihan coin. And I did a poll yesterday on Twitter, which is going to be more valuable on August 1st, seg with coin or Jihan coin. I can't believe people actually, anybody voted for Jihan coin, um, but uh, 91% of people said Segwit coin, 350 some votes. So Segwit is going to happen. Jihan, you're going to have to swallow your pride. I'm sorry, buddy, but you're going to have to do Segwit. That's just the way it is. If you want to sell your coins and get top dollar, you're going to have to go with Segwit. And if you don't want to, we are anyway. Okay. Number nine, this is the last one. The Segwit 2X folks are fighting long lost battles about the block size and would rather release fatal bugs in a rushed mess against advice than listen to reason. 
That's exactly what's happening. Oh, anyway. Okay, so that's what I have for the 2X hard fork upgrade. It's not going to happen. That's the bottom line. You just don't have to worry about it. The only thing that we have to worry about is reaching out to those compromised people that signed this and point out the bad behavior, the bad faith that Jihan is demonstrating, that Jeff Garzik is demonstrating in this. They have bad faith in this agreement. They don't trust the signers to stick with their word and do a hard fork. Right. If I if I get into an agreement with somebody and they show constantly that they actually don't trust me, like I don't have any problem with stabbing them in the back if I have to, or going against my word because I I feel like if if you call me a liar, basically call me a liar by saying, you know, we're going to change this whole thing because we want to lock you in and you cannot make a, a different choice in this. We don't trust you. We had to lock you in uh, and make it a dangerous upgrade for the network. Like I, if I were a business like that, I would have no problem. Just, I would think that was compromised. I would have no problem going the other way. So anyway, um, I don't think this is a real threat to, uh, SegWit, uh, user activate soft work. We'll, we'll talk about that next year, but this, this two X thing is a hard fork. It's not going to work. So they need to just activate SegWit. And then we can talk about doing a hard fork, maybe down the road, if we can get consensus for that. But I don't think there's ever going to be hard fork in Bitcoin. I used to, when I first started the show, one of my very first episodes, I said, yeah, we need to get SegWit. And then after that, we'll do a hard fork and yada, yada, yada. I really thought a hard fork was coming. Um, but I've learned since then that A, we don't need a hard fork to scale. We can do all of these soft fork increases, these soft fork optimizations to Bitcoin. And we can scale that way. A hard fork is just too dang dangerous. It's going to split the network guaranteed. It's also very political and it will be a very political fight. So I I don't think that's tenable in any respect, really. All right, let's move on to the user activity software. Okay, there's been several good videos out there over the last couple weeks since I released my um, last podcast. There was a really good article by Jimmy Song. I've been fighting with him. <laughs> uh, well, not fighting, arguing with him on Twitter. I've been trying to be very polite about it and all that. Um, he seems like a really good guy, but man, he's just so wishy-washy. Like, have an opinion, dude. Oh, but I don't know. There's all these unknown unknowns and known unknowns. We just don't know what's going on. So I had to game out 50,000 different things. It's a waste of time, man. I'll link to his, uh, like this article that he went through all of these different game theoretical things. And I made a comment down here in the, in his, the comment section to this medium article. And I'm going to read that here because I think that's <sighs> shit, dude, you didn't game. Listen, you didn't game out if Satoshi comes back and he supports user activated software. What the fuck? What We need to take that into account. 
come on now. We need to game this shit out. No, that's stupid. You can only game out what you know. And then the things that you don't know, I mean, is, is there is a decision theory and all this stuff about uh, probabilities and things, but we don't even know the fucking probabilities. We don't even know how many nodes there are that are going to enforce the user activated soft fork. We don't know how much hash power is going to activate the user activated soft fork. There, there's, I mean, slush pool right now, they're giving people the option to vote and it's up to like 15 petahashes, which is around 1% of the network. Uh, not significant, but it's growing. And there's a lot of people that don't vote in that pool. And there's a lot of like, uh, uh, they leave it up to slush pool to vote. Maybe slush pool will vote. For, or back the mine on the user active software with their hash power. They have that, uh, leave it up to the pool to decide. So that part of the hash power might go for user activist software. We don't know. We really do not know. Maybe the exchanges will come out in two weeks and say, uh, the user activated software is going to be Bitcoin and the hard fork that's coming up, the SegWit 2 megabyte hard fork is going to be an altcoin. That's how we're going to offer it on our exchange. If that happens, I mean, shit, all the miners could turn tomorrow or the day after that. So we really do not know. And there's no way that you can gain that out. There's no probability that you can even put on it. Nobody, nobody knows. So it's a waste of time. I'm sure he put a lot of effort into this and it was a good effort. But I think it was a misplaced effort. I'm just going to read my comment here. Um, I said, how are industry players supposed to know any of this beforehand? You are complicating the situation with unknowable things that can't be factored into players' decisions. What are the things people know for certain? One, a user-activated software is happening. Two, a user-activated software chain uh, will have SegWit. Three, SegWit fixes many issues in Bitcoin, and if activated, the price will rise. Even if not, I mean, even if it's a, like a long drawn out thing, the SegWit chain will, the SegWit coin will be higher value. Number four, SegWit is the most tested upgrade ever to Bitcoin. It's totally safe. It's totally backwards compatible, and it already works on other coins. So we know that. But we don't know if SegWit 2x is safe, right? But we do know that SegWit is safe. The, the user activist software SegWit is safe. Uh, number five, the current state of the SegWit 2x is, um, is that it's doubtful. And so far, it's a codeless solution. And it, this is just me adding something in here. The exchange would have to be crazy to run code that's only a month old. Absolutely crazy. That has been on a private testnet, not even like on public Bitcoin testnet, right? which I expect that to be the case. I don't think they'll release this to the public because, uh, well, they just won't. Number six, other things that they can know for certain. If they don't support user activated software, there will be a chain split. And number seven, the legacy chain can get reorged. That means reorganized. It can get consumed back from the user activated software. So the way it works is uh, the, SegWit or uh, soft fork, like I said, it's backwards compatible, right? So legacy is the old software. And since the user activated soft fork is backwards compatible, it can consume that chain. But the legacy is not forwards compatible necessarily. It, it is, I mean, blocks are valid that are valid on both chains, but not all blocks are valid on the new chain. So that's not forwards compatible. The user activated software is backwards compatible. And 
it can be reorganized. So if you spend money and then the user activated soft fork gets ahead and becomes dominant, all of that economic activity that happened between the fork and the takeover is going to be wiped out. So those are the things that we can know. There's more things probably that we can know for certain. And those are the only things we can consider. We cannot consider the hash rate because we don't fucking know it. And there, we can't even give a good uh, probability. I mean, the only way we can give a good probability is to use other things that we know and to extrapolate from those things, which make it just less and less reliable as we go, right? So we cannot know the hash rate. That should not be considered, in my opinion. We cannot know like the node count, really, uh, because that can be civil attack and they can fake the nodes out there. Um, so those those things can't even be considered in this whole debate, in my opinion. And Jimmy Song, that's what he bases it on. He bases it on node count and on hash rate. But I don't think those should be considered. Another thing we can know, another thing we know, is that everybody has agreed to SegWit. Out of all the nodes we can measure, it doesn't matter if they're civil nodes or whatever, out of all the nodes we can measure, it's like 96 or 98% of them are SegWit ready, running SegWit code or running SegWit uh, core versions that have SegWit. We know that 80% of the hash power has agreed to SegWit, and they most of them probably did SegWit just, or they agreed to it hard for it just to get SegWit. Uh, Jihan agreed to say which is to get hard fork. Um, but we know that most people have agreed to SegWit, so it's less controversial. Uh, or it's not very controversial. So those are all the things. Um, I, I think it's great to game this, this stuff out, and it's good practice to try to game out all this game theory, but it's just way too freaking complicated. It's not that complicated to decide this. And I expect exchanges, maybe July 1st, maybe it'll be all the way to July 1st, and I hope they don't wait that long. But the exchanges will probably put out a notice or a letter like they did for Bitcoin Unlimited. That The letter for Bitcoin Unlimited said, you know, it'll be an altcoin. It won't have the BTC ticker. And that basically killed uh, Bitcoin Unlimited. They, they offered future contracts up for trading, and the Bitcoin Unlimited coin just died right? It went down to like uh, $100 and the regular Bitcoin without the hard fork, without Bitcoin Unlimited was, you know, 1200 or whatever the price was at that time. That basically killed off Unlimited. And I hope they do another futures exchange. Several exchanges have said they are going to do that, uh, but nothing concrete. There's been no plan that's been published. I think they're probably all talking to each other right now. So Hopefully that comes out soon, but I can see like July 1st, maybe July 1st will be the implementation of the trading of the futures. So uh, maybe a week before that, two weeks, maybe so pretty soon within the next week or two, we'll hear from the exchanges and we'll know what's going on. That's my opinion. And I think, I mean, if, if you're going to offer me a, a chance to trade this, um, I, I don't know if I will go on to uh, Bitfinex, um, and do this or whatever exchange it is. But I mean, it sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Segwit's going to be definitely more valuable than a non-Segwit chain. So whatever. I just want to get that, that off my chest. Bottom line is I think this is still going to be activated. 
And I, 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 I had like user activated software, UASF on my Twitter handle for a while. Um, and then I took that off and then people were like, why did you take it off? Blah, blah, blah. Because I don't really believe that a post August 1st user activated software will be ultimately successful. I think it will be ultimately very destructive. So if the price now is 3000, then the price after August 1st with a coin split there, each coin is going to be worth 500. I mean, it's going to be very disastrous for the economy in general. Um, and a very bad precedent to set. So I think that all of these factors are going to add up to SegWit being activated before August 1st. And I hope I'm right. I really do. The exchanges can end this tomorrow. They just come out and say, user activated software is going to be Bitcoin after August 1st. Done. This whole debate is over if Bitfinex said that. And people might judge them. They might get some flack. But most people out there would be like, thank you. That ends the whole fucking debate right now. So I think that's going to happen. All the incentives are aligned in that direction. The game theory that's out there from Jimmy Song and others that have put out their game theory is too complicated. We need to concentrate on what we know, not any maybes or second or third order effects. We need to talk about what we know and what we know and how that how what we know affects the decisions. I think if we look at those simple things, it's a no-brainer that you have to support SegWit before the user activated software to stop a chain split. I mean, Jimmy Song will even say he supports not having a chain split. And so I asked him, what's the only way to guarantee there's no chain split? Chirp, 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 chirp. I can't do, <laughs> I can't do fucking cricket sound. Um, is to activate SegWit before the user activates soft work. And it's all good. There's no never going to be chain split then. No, there's no way, shape, or form how a chain can split. The chain can split after uh, August 1st or on August 1st if it said it was already activated. It doesn't fucking matter. So, um, but Jimmy won't like say that. He won't be like, well, then I support activating SegWit now. He should say this. He should say, I support activating SegWit now before August 1st. But he can't, and I don't know why. There's something iffy there. I mean, I think I figured out what's iffy with, with Vinny, but with, with Jimmy, now he's kind of like my alter altercation here, but, um, I like, I like, I probably would like Vinny if I met him in real life. I probably would like Jimmy and I don't mean any like super ill will to these people, but I got to call it how I see it. I owe it to my listeners. I owe it to Bitcoin in general to call these people out. So, um, I wish Jimmy would just say that he supports SegWit now. That's the safest thing to do. And forget all this overcomplicated game theory crap. Okay. Um, that's all I have. Oh, I have one more thing, guys. Watch Adam Meister's show. Um, he had me on the week before last, or the, he had me on Friday, the week before last Friday. And we had a really great panel on there. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. We had uh, Crypto de Medici. He's like an altcoin trader. I don't want to call him like altcoin pumper because he seemed very um, like down to earth. He had a good head on his shoulders and I haven't followed him enough to be able to say anything different than that. So, uh, but I do follow him on Twitter and he seems, he seemed like a good guy and he, he uh, was able to speak to these to topics. The other guy was Ross. I think it's, uh, or sorry, Josh. No, uh, damn it, man. I'm going to put your name. I'm sorry. Josh Nussbaum or Nussman. 
he's a he works with VCs. I'll link to this in the show notes so you guys will be able to see. He he works with VCs in, in New York City. And then he had me, the Bitcoin maximalist slash realistic person. <laughs> but it, it was a really good panel and we had a good discussion. I gotta talk about user activated software there. Um I thought it was really good. And then this very last, the most recent Friday here, he had, oh my gosh, one of the best guests I've ever seen on any Bitcoin show, period. And his name was Maximo and he was from Venezuela. Uh, John Light was also on there. He's had some good blog posts recently. Um, check those out if you haven't. I've tweeted them out. And Bitcoin, like another YouTube channel guy, uh, this Bitcoin guest character uh, guy whatever i don't i wish he would pick a different name so i could talk about him uh, but uh, bitcoin asked a question of maximo from venezuela so this venezuelan guy he mines bitcoin and he was talking all about bitcoin and how it's picking up steam and it's really booming there in venezuela but bitcoin asked a question about is gold and, uh, you know what about gold and silver are they used on the street and maximo said no he doesn't see gold and silver. They have gold and silver mines in Venezuela, but it's all owned by the government. It's a communist regime. They own all the gold. They own all the silver. Maybe you have a necklace here and there, and people will trade a few little trinkets on the street. But the big demand that he sees is Bitcoin. And I was just flabbergasted by that, man. Uh, so I tweeted out. I said that gold and silver are not being used on the streets of Venezuela. Bitcoin is. Think about that. And it was my best tweet, like most retweeted tweet, and Cointelegraph picked it up, and um, just, it, it was going bonkers. But think about that, really, honestly. If Bitcoin is being used instead of gold and silver, when all of us gold bugs for decades have been saying that, you know, the economy is going to collapse just like Venezuela and going to go into this hyperinflation and people are going to use gold and silver and da-da-da-da. And... and People are not using it. I mean, yes, of course, some people, very few maybe, are using it in a very, very limited capacity. But there's a much bigger growing usage of Bitcoin when you compare it to gold and silver. So, hey, there you go. Gold and silver bugs, come on over to Bitcoin. We'd love to have you. You know, this is not investment advice, but at least start learning about this stuff. So, all right. That's all I have for this episode. Thank you guys so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon. And I'm glad to see that Andreas joined Patreon. I think Andreas listens to the show. If you do, Andreas, what's up? <laughs> Let's talk. I'll, I'll send you a DM on, on Twitter. Or but yeah, the Andreas joined Patreon. I would like to see other people, other content producers out there joining Patreon. Um, it's a synergistic effect, I think. I th it's really great. Let's promote, cross-promote each other. So uh, you can do that at, at patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin Markets. A dollar a month supports me, supports the show. That's it. Thanks, guys. Peace.